We really have limited resources to address public health initiatives when you're thinking about things right. like vision. So determining where the most immediate needs are turns out to be really helpful. So you can start to, uh, you know, direct scarce resources towards, uh, you know, individuals or groups who, who could benefit the most. Hello and welcome to the Voices of Vision Leaders podcast. I'm Dominic Loricella, joined by President and CEO of Vision Serve Alliance, Lee Nasahi. We are also joined by Lauren Branch, John Cruz, and Dean Van Nasdale to talk about the upcoming findings of VSA's Big Data Project. Welcome, everyone. Thank you, Dom. Welcome, everybody. It is nice to be with you, Lauren. Hello, everyone. I'm glad to be here this afternoon. Thank you. And Dean? Hello. Uh, nice to be with you all today. Thank you. And John? This is John Cruz. I'm delighted to be here today. Awesome. Yeah, we're all thrilled to be here today and share with you one of the more exciting projects Vision Serve Alliance has been involved with in, in some time. And that is the Aging and Vision Loss Big Data Project. Uh, we embarked on this a, a few months ago, but it's been um, near and dear to John Cruz for some time. This is his brainchild. And the project is for us to provide a profile of people age 65 years and older living with blindness and low vision uh, based on state collected datas. We are analyzing the behavioral risk factor surveillance system and the American Community Survey, two data sets that can help us get a much better idea of one of the, well, the largest constituencies we all serve, um, those, those uh, organizations in the country um, who are related to Vision Serve Alliance and beyond. So with that, um, I'm going to ask Lauren Branch, who happens to be not just the CEO of New View Oklahoma, a very important position, but she's also the chairperson of the Vision Serve Alliance board. Lauren, why did Vision Serve Alliance decide to undertake this project? Well, that's I, that's a big question, and um, you know, Lee, you've been in this field for a long time, as have I. And you know, one of our biggest challenges in terms of uh, providing services for for um, people who are blind or low vision in our communities has really been um, lack of funding, and and that has been tied to lack of data. I mean, we've been talking about needing data in our field for years and years and years. Those of us who have been providing services in our field anecdotally know how large this population is. Right. But we've never had the specific data to back up what we're saying, to be able to speak to our communities and to our policyholders to truly express the need that's out there and the impact that our services can have on, on our population. And, and quite frankly, we've, we've operated in a, in a silo and, and we've been trying to connect those, um, those groups like the aging network where a vast majority of the people that they're serving have vision loss, um, you know, and trying to get and trying to get their attention. And I'm just so excited because for the first time in our field, we have real data 
that tells the story. And I just have to shout out to John because, you know, John has known this for a long time and, and has really been the force behind engaging us and allowing us to um, to launch this project and, and put it together. And um, it, it's just, I'm just thrilled for us, me personally, our agency, but, but for our field to have this information. Absolutely. Yeah, we are, we are so blessed to have John as a part of our community and bring this forth to us. And I, I neglected to mention when I was describing um, the project that we, we are just about to complete the pilot phase of this. And uh, we sought initially five states who would be brave and work through this first phase with us, uh, sort of test the waters. We actually got eight states to step up to the plate. Now I wanna mention in addition to Oklahoma, Lauren's home state, we had Pennsylvania, Florida, New York, California, Louisiana, Illinois, and Missouri. And then we also have a national report. So um, those each of the reports focus on the population, 65 years and older people with blindness and low vision in each of those states. John, what's so unique or, or special about these particular data and, and reports? Well, everything, uh, frankly. Um, when we began this project and, and, I, and we were kind of toying with what it might look like, we thought we could generate a six to eight page uh, kind of fact sheet that would inform uh, advocates and policymakers about the prevalence of vision impairment and the characteristics of people who have vision impairment. Mm -hmm. But that project has morphed into a 30 plus page document now that has uh, fairly intense data. So there's a number of things in this project that are absolutely unique. And I think that's, then it's an important thing to recognize about this project is this is new research. It's not information that we've cobbled together from other reports, but it's, it, is, it represents new data. And, and let me talk a little bit about the pieces of that. Yes, please. Um, we've, uh, for every state uh, in the eight reports that we have so far, we estimate the state level prevalence of vision impairment uh, among the entire population. And then we look at that by race, ethnicity, age groups, and, uh, and, and sex. Mm -hmm. um, and then we also estimate the prevalence of vision impairment by county in each state for people over the age of, of 65. So we know with a great deal of precision, we can estimate the population of people uh, who have vision impairment by county. And there's a lot of variability, and I want to talk about that in a second. The other thing that we, we address in this project is the prevalence of, of chronic conditions among older mm -hmm. people. We know that older people with vision impairment tend to have uh, more chronic conditions. They have a higher prevalence of chronic conditions. So we're reporting that by the state. We're also looking at quality of life and some disability outcome measures. Um, and then in the back of this 30 page report, we have tables uh, that deal with something like uh, 60, variables from the BRFSS and then county level estimates. So there's a lot of data packed into this report. Very robust. Uh, Dean, what, what do you think is the potential impact of, of this level of information on 
our field, the, the field of blindness and, and low vision, and for adults over the age of 65 living with impaired sight? I think that's a really good question. I think the, the data are particularly important, but I think oftentimes the data are underutilized for a, a number of reasons. Uh, I think if you have the capacity to sort of extract the data, uh, you can start to see a lot of things that I think are really important. You, the data helps show us where the risks are for developing or, or having low vision and gives us unique insight into where the gaps are in the uh -huh. outcomes that we really need to address. It gives us some sense of the magnitude of the problem, which I think is really helpful. I think that that is particularly useful when you're trying to explain to policymakers why these issues are really important. If you can demonstrate the magnitude of the problem with data that are comparable across different sort of uh, health domains, and I think that that becomes a really useful tool. And, and we really have limited resources to address public health initiatives when you're thinking about things right. like vision. So determining where the most immediate needs are turns out to be really helpful. So you can start to, uh, you know, direct scarce resources towards, uh, you know, individuals or groups who, who could benefit the most. And I think one of the nice things is that these data come from really large national health data sets and mm -hmm. contain information that you don't typically get, uh, that typically aren't collected by other mechanisms. These aren't like clinical data. These are population health data, but they're collected sort of uniformly across the country. So you can start to make comparisons uh, from one state to another and come up with rationale for why some locations may have, you know, higher rates of vision impairment than others, what some of the underlying factors might be. Uh, mm -hmm. But you can also start to see, you know, in locations that have interventions that are in place, it gives you some indication of, you know, what kind of places might have successful interventions that you might want to model uh, elsewhere. So having standardized data, I think, turns out to be really important. And I think we're sort of fortunate here at, at Ohio State. I'm the one who's sort of uh, presenting some of this, the work that we're doing here, but really it right. takes a pretty large team to be able to do some of this stuff, and the capabilities are are fairly rare. Uh, and it, but pulling data from a number of different sources, I think, is is really important. One of the problems is is not all of the data that we would ideally want all come from one place. So being able to know where the data are and being able to pull those data. Uh, and make sense of them is something that's really important, but I think part of the problem is, is there's a lot of capacity to do that. So we're pretty lucky here that we have a lot of good biostatisticians and epidemiologists that can help us do that. And I think working with vision service is particularly important uh, because you guys have the capabilities to sort of act on the data in meaningful ways that, that we wouldn't be able to. So I think that there's a translational component to it too. You have the, the data part of it, but you want to take the data part and translate that into some sort of action, uh, whether that be, you know, education or advocacy work, uh, I think is really where this partnership is, is particularly helpful. Oh, that's awesome. So let's slide into that. Lauren, as the CEO of a, a community-based organization providing services to this population, and also as the, the, the volunteer leader of Vision Serve Alliance, how do you envision using this, this data, these reports? Well, I think, I, I mean, I think exactly what Dean is saying. I mean, it, it, gives, a, it gives us a backdrop to, to tell the story. I mean, you know, uh -huh. you're, here in Oklahoma, I mean, I've been pushing for a long time for, you know, policy change and funding and, you know, trying to beat the drum about, um, you know, the, where vision loss is happening in certain populations, what the risk factors are, you know, how to better identify individuals who are at risk, 
you know, anecdotally, you know, based on information, we we see that, um, you know, African-Americans um, have a higher prevalence rate. In Oklahoma, we have a large population of Native American Indians. Mm -hmm. we, know that, we know that diabetes is more prevalent. Um, you know, it, 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 um, it says to me that the incidence of, of vision loss would be um, tied to that as well. But, you know, we've never had the data to support that. So yeah. it's enabling us to go into those communities that are at high risk and really show them, you know what, your constituents are at risk and, and we can provide interventions that you can see through the data. There, there are correlations that, you know, and inferences that we can make with the data to say, you know what, if we can do, if we can do earlier identification, if we're addressing you know the vision issues then then we can mitigate some of these adverse outcomes and so you know we're talking we're we're talking to policymakers yeah. um we're talking to insurance companies you know right oh, wow. now there, there's a, a big push for um you know how how are we managing care how are we evaluating in turn i mean in instead of just going from you know utilizing our traditional fee you know fee for service model, you know, they're looking at outcome-based um, payments and incentives. And, and I think I think that we're we're perfect for that because ours are interventions. And the earlier that we can provide those interventions and mitigate these risks, the payoff is going to be big on, on the back end. And so you know, I mean, I just can't, I, I just can't tell you how excited I am. I mean, I, I wanted to push this report out before I had the final draft. I mean, I was ready. <laughs> You're ready, huh? No, I know because, it, because you know what, we need to fund, we need to fund these services. Very, very, very few people who could benefit from vision rehabilitation ever have access to vision rehabilitation. And we need to change that um, for the individuals that that we serve, because um, you know some of some of the stuff that we're doing is not rocket science, but it's transformational in an in individual's life, and that translates into transforming communities as well. How big do we think the gap is? What what percentage of of this population do we think are not receiving services? Oh, the numbers that I've seen have been you know between ninety six and ninety seven percent. Are not are not receiving services, and and when you start looking at these numbers and attaching it to to populations, I mean, this is you know hundreds of thousands of individuals are not receiving the interventions that could substantially improve their quality of life and and mitigate these adverse outcomes. I mean, for you know trips and falls, right or you know, medication management, managing chronic health conditions become problematic if you've got, if you've got vision issues. So, yeah, you know, as, yeah. as John and Dean said, there's, there's just tons, tons of, of wonderful information in these that, that, you know, we're ready to dig into and, and really start putting a narrative around it that, that supports what we're seeing firsthand in our communities. That's awesome. So John, what are some of the more interesting findings um, from the, the first set of reports? Um, well, just I want to build off of what Lauren said because go, I, go for uh, it. 
it 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 it, it the strength of this report is our ability to do the translational research. So I think what we're finding in many cases validates what providers are already seeing. And I'll talk about that a little bit. And then I think there's some real surprises in these data that uh, are frankly surprising to folks who like me, who've been in this field you know, for 45 years. Um, in terms of the percent of people who get services, the only national study suggests uh, only about three to four percent of people who have vision impairment receive vision rehabilitation services. So Warren is, is absolutely right in, in that. Mm-hmm. Here's some of the things that we know um, that uh, national, I'm going to present some of the data. Nationally, 7.3 percent of older people uh, report a blindness or low vision. And there's a standard question in the survey that asks, are you blind or do you have serious difficulty seeing? So this captures people with severe vision impairment. So it's 7.3%, but that is not distributed equally across racial ethnic groups. And so this survey, the BRFSS samples 440,000 people. It's the world's largest telephone survey. Uh, and it's the oldest, large, the oldest survey. And so among whites, the prevalence of vision impairment is about 6.1%. Among blacks, it's 10.5%. Among Hispanics, it's 13.9% twice, uh, twice what it is for whites. And for Native Americans, it's 14.2%. Wow. So, so Native Americans are, all, are two and a half times more likely to report vision impairment than people who are white. In Oklahoma, it's 13%. And in Louisiana, 19% of Native Americans report vision impairment. That's, that's a fifth. That's one in five older Native Americans reporting vision impairment. So those are wow. some striking findings. Now, the other thing that we found is that People who do research love the term variability. We mm-hmm. like to see variability in the data. Um, so while the national data suggests there's 7.3%, that prevalence varies dramatically from state to state. So for example, Illinois, mm-hmm. so remember the, the national prevalence is 7.3%. Illinois reports 5.8% and Louisiana reports 12.4%. So wow. even within this country, the prevalence of vision impairment varies from state to state. Mm-hmm. Then what we did in this report is we drilled down to the county level yeah. and we found even more variability. And I'm going to give an example from, um, from one state, uh, Missouri, uh, <laughs> where I lived for a while. The overall prevalence a vision impairment in Missouri, 7.3%, about the national prevalence. But within the state, the by county, the prevalence ranges from 2.6% to 21.1%. So there's some count, there's one county in 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 Illinois in Illinois, in, in Missouri, where um, a, a fifth of the older people report severe vision impairment. Now, typically what happens, what we've seen is that the higher prevalence tends to occur in more rural areas. Yeah. 
And those areas tend to be under-resourced, typically. People are poor in those areas uh, and they don't have access to healthcare, eye care, and virtually no access to anything that looks like physician rehabilitation. So, we're, so these patterns begin to suggest the gaps mm-hmm. that exist within states. Of, now, the, the other thing that I think has been a major uh, finding for me in the report has been the level of poverty. Oh, yeah. And, um, and so, you know, when, when Lauren talks about vision rehabilitation, and, and when all, all of us were involved in this, in this work. The core of vision rehabilitation is, um, it, it, it's a knowledge base that we can transfer to other people. And I think we do that extraordinarily well as a field. Mm-hmm. What makes it complicated is that people have other health conditions right. that make a, uh, um, that make it more difficult to provide th- those care. So you have diabetes management, falls, yeah. falls prevention, and that those topics become embedded in vision impairment. They're all pars- part and parcel of that. But here's one of the things that we learned. Um, nationally, 17% of older people, 65 years of age, and over report incomes of $20,000 or less. That's the national mm-hmm. average. A lot of poverty among older people, but among visually impaired people, older people, the prevalence is 37%. Oh my gosh. Did everybody um, hear that? <laughs> Say it again, John. Okay. So the difference is six, 17% to 37%, more than twice as likely. So older people national are more likely to have incomes of $20,000 or less. I mean, $20,000 is not a lot of money. Now, we also looked at that at the state level uh, among the eight states that we examined. And, and I'm going to use uh, Louisiana as an example. The overall rate of poverty for older people in Louisiana is, is 19.5%. So just about what the national average is. But for people who, are, uh, who, who experience blindness and low vision, it's 53%. Oh my goodness. 53% of older people with vision impairment in Louisiana have incomes of $20,000 or less. So that just means, I mean, think about the, the impacts of that. Mm-hmm. You can't afford Uber. Uh, those you know, rural communities don't have bus services. They don't have taxi services. Uh, you can't afford low vision aids and devices. You can't even afford a light bulb uh, if you have an income of $20,000 or less. So those are some of the major disparities that we have discovered in this report that I do not think uh, we we consider these contextual issues of poverty and race uh, as as concerns that we we address in vision rehabilitation. So the, the contextual issues are much broader and much more severe. And they, they need to be addressed not by vision rehabilitation, but by, by, by broad public policy that avoids uh, poverty, for example. Oh, wow. Yeah, just uh, huge implications. And you know, that, that's one of the goals of, of us producing these reports and the, the plans to disseminate this 
over the next few months and years is to raise awareness with the other federal agencies, state agencies, the aging network, public health, how to um, address health equity concerns, uh, social isolation and social determinants of health that are all wrapped up into this. So you, you can't look at these issues um, as standalone, just pretty dramatic. Well, I'll tell you another factoid um, that we found that was surprising to me. The, the, uh, the vision question in the survey, we, we have to work with the, the survey questions we have. That's just, right. just So vision question is, are you blind or do you have serious difficulty seeing? There's a companion question that asks, are you deaf or do you have serious difficulty seeing, uh, hearing? Mm-hmm. So a hearing question and a vision question, same survey. Right. And what we found in that nationally that uh, 15% of, uh, of uh, older people report hearing impairment. And that's mostly men. Uh, there's a higher, higher prevalence of vision impairment among, hearing impairment among men, uh, men higher percentage of uh, vision impairment among women. But of the older visually impaired people, 33% of people over the age of 65 with vision impairment also report substantial hearing loss. And that has incredible implications for just about anything. The medical encounter, how you do vision rehabilitation. Uh, So a third of the constituency has hearing problems as well as vision problems. Wow, that is very important information we've, we've not had documented for all of us before huge implications. So um, we've we've talked about some of the findings, uh, the unique nature of this research. Um, John, this is, is this kind of information doesn't exist anywhere else, right? It doesn't. I mean, I think that's the thing that we really have to stress about the report. There, there's you know, over the last, I don't know, the 20 years that I've been uh, a serious investigator, we've done a lot of work just to try to estimate the population uh, and create and, and have surveillance systems that allow us to do that. And there's always weaknesses in that, in that kind of, of work. But typically what happens in the investigations is that that, that, they, that they will characterize the entire population, people 18 and over, people 21 and over, just as adults. But the fact of the matter is that older people, people over the age of 65 are different from people who are 20. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so we've never had this level of data ever that has looked at, has examined people 65 years of, of age and over, um, at uh, across these variables that we've identified, and ex- and uh, and in terms of prevalence by state and by county, it's never been done before. So this is all original research. And what I have to reflect back on then is is Dean and the team that he has at Ohio State because there's simply not the the uh, it, I call it intellectual muscle uh, that allows us to examine multiple data sets, code those data sets know where to find the data right. and then make that available and then translate that in a, in a fashion in one document like this mm-hmm. that allows policymakers and advocates to, 
to have all this information in one place to help make decisions. Yeah, we, Dean, you talk, touched a little bit uh, on uh, the unique uh, position of Ohio State to, to work on, on this with us. I, I'd like to invite all of you one at a time to just talk a, about how important this particular partnership is um, the Ohio State University and VisionServe Alliance, and uh, Dean, you and John yourselves as, as individuals, you, you are the intellectual muscle uh, that is allowing, enabling, empowering the creation of this information. And, and it's really special and unique, uh, just a wonderful opportunity. So um, can we talk a little bit about why this is this is such a, a unique opportunity, the, the perfect storm in a good way. Well, I think that uh, part of it is that we all sort of occupy different spaces when we're thinking about public health initiatives. You have sort of the epidemiology aspect of it, you have sort of the policy development, and then you have sort of the interventions. And I think that there's overlap to some extent across those different sort of expertise areas, but I think that not any individual person owns any of that on their own. So we yeah. can do a, a part of the work, but there's a fair amount of the work that we have no expertise in that, that we wouldn't be able to really make very significant advances. So trying to do our part to make sure that we sort of set the stage with some of the data so that other people can sort of use that data to make advances, I think is particularly important. So I think it's the complementary nature of the expertise and the capabilities is what makes this really important. Awesome. Lauren, what, what do you think about this partnership? How important is it, is it for VisionServe? Well, like I said before, I mean, we've been talking data for a long time and, and have even, you know, tried to come up with our own kind of methods to collect data, but quite frankly, I mean, you know what, we don't even know where to get the data. I mean, I, I'm yeah. thankful for, you know, John knows where it is, Dean knows how to, how to extract it. And, um, and then it, it turns our anecdotal information into, into real, um, real stories with the, with the data to back it up it, in, a, in a layman's kind of a fashion, you know, right. so um, I, I, I've spent a lot of time listening to John, you know, to try to absorb and, and learn what all of that means. But at the end of the day, you know, I'm not a data person. And so, yeah. um, but it does provide me the information and the tools that I need that, that people have been asking for all along. But, it, but you know what, this collaboration goes beyond just, just our agencies and, and, um, and Ohio State University and John, I mean, we're pulling, we're pulling others into this too. And, right. you know, for, for us to be successful, we've got to get out of our, um, you know, we've got to get out of our box. I mean, we've got to be engaging, you know, those public, public health officials. We've got to be engaging our state agencies. We've got to be engaging those networks where, um, where people are, are, already getting services, you know, like within the aging network with our FQHCs. I mean, you know, all of those um, partners are going to be important to us 
to drive the success of this project and, and be able to utilize it in a way that truly makes an impact. That's right. John, any additional thoughts about the uh, unique nature of this particular partnership? Yeah, I, I think, well, for me, uh, for, you know, for people who don't know, I've been in, in this field for 45 years, I ran a program in Michigan for 15 years and, and been doing research for about the last 30. Um, and what I think is unique about this project is the willingness of two very important communities to come together to learn from each other to figure out how to best respond to this, this problem. So Dean and I are pretty good as, as data people uh, and VisionServe and, and then that VisionServe Alliance Network, they're really good at vision rehabilitation and they know the questions to ask. So one of the things that's been really gratifying to me is the willingness on, on, for, from both sides of this, from the scientist side to come together with practitioners to say, we want to create a document that characterizes in a sensitive, thoughtful, comprehensive way, the circumstances of, of people who are older and have vision impairment. And, and so we've done that. We've had lots of dialogue to inform each other and, and, and create a document that is sensitive and is responsible, but done in a rigorous manner. And that doesn't happen very often. Typically, right. typically people, and you know, I'm as guilty of it as anybody else, but you know, investigators tend to want to work with investigators because they talk the same language. People in vision rehabilitation want to work with each other because they talk the same language. Yeah. When, when you start, when you start, you know, trying to to uh, to to cross fertilize in this way to have this translational research that's an extraordinarily powerful but that kind of collaboration just does not occur very often it has not occurred in our field before <laughs> i've been here 45 years we've never had the opportunity to do this now the other thing i'll say that i think is is really good about the uh, the this collaboration is that Ohio State has the agility to, they have not only have the competence to do this kind of work, but they have the, the agility to do it. So, so we started talking about this late last fall uh, right. and, and uh, we had some delays. Um, they've strengthened, the delays have strengthened the final product. I mean, uh, hmm. I'm not concerned That's about right. that. But, but to, to find an institution that can do this kind of analytical work and then have the give and take back and forth because you just don't run the data and see what happens. You have to, you have to talk with the analyst, you have to code this data right, you have to talk to the analyst and keep, and keep this circle of inquiry going until you get the, the, the results of, that you can interpret in a way that are useful. And so Ohio State's willing to do that. And, uh, and I just, I think just the importance of that collaboration is incredibly important to our field. And it's something I don't want to lose. Yeah, we're very grateful for this opportunity and so excited about the rest of this project. So let's talk about that. Dean, what are the next steps? Well, I mean, I think that there's a, a number of next steps. I think sort of the most immediate next steps are to make sure that people are aware of the reports. Uh, understand what's in the reports, understand the reports themselves. I think a lot of work has gone into making the reports sort of uh, 
I think, accessible to a broad range of stakeholders. Uh, and I think that that's really one of the key features of the report is that you can look at it from an epidemiology perspective. You can look at it from a practitioner perspective and, and there's something in there for everybody that helps people come to sort of a common understanding of the problem. And I think that making sure that people read the reports and understand the reports and use the data uh, for education and advocacy is probably the most immediate first step for the states that, that we have reports for. I think each state is unique when you start to look at the data. And I think that that is a good indication that more reports probably need to be done so that people can advocate in all 50 states, not just the eight states that we've started with. Uh, because I think that the, the circumstances are going to be different across states, the population uh, distribution is going to be different across the states. If you look at what's happening I'm in Ohio, if you look at the distribution in Ohio of vision impairment, uh, you see that there's also geographic disparities. And so making sure that people understand that, particularly in populations who are at greatest risk for uh, poor health outcomes, things like falls, is something that I think is, is where I see the, the future of this project going. I think starting with the eight states is really great. I think expanding it, hopefully all 50 states someday will have reports for them. But just making sure that people understand and use the data, I think, is really uh, what's going to be key. Absolutely. Well, yeah, not hopefully. We are going to do all 50 states, right? I, I, I think that that'll be the case for sure. Yeah. And uh, we, we talked about the, these first eight states and the national report being just about finished. We will uh, be unveiling them, if you will, during Vision Serve Alliance's Executive Leadership Conference in Tampa on April 4th. There will be a press release and those reports will be available through Vision Serve Alliance's website. I'll give you that in, in a few minutes. But I, we are now ready to start lining up the next cohort of state reports. So we'd like another 10, 12, 15 states that can support the project because we need to uh, secure funding for this as well. Um, this is a this is a collaboration in that sense as well. We have um, about 25, 30 organizations that stepped up to fund the, the first eight, eight, nine reports. And we're continuing to look for that financial support and the states that are interested in moving forward and being part of the next cohort. So if you're out there and in, in a position, a policymaker, um, a decision maker, interested in this for your own state, you know, please reach out and talk to us as soon as possible. We want to get your state lined up to be able to run this data and create the report for you. So, uh, final thoughts, guests, Dean, John, Lauren. I think it, my final thought is that. You know, these first eight states, I think a lot of work has gone into the reports. I think that they're a really outstanding template for other states going forward. So I think that really the all of the work that's gone into it, I think John had originally envisioned something that was much more sort of limited in scope. But I think that when he started to work on the projects, he, I think, realized the potential impact. And so all of the work that he's done to really sort of make these reports or more robust is, is something that I think is, uh, that expertise is extraordinarily rare. So I, I think that he's really done Absolutely. a good job uh, with sort of uh, 
thinking through and developing a, a lot of the work that's gone into this project. Yeah, his passion is is unmatched. John, anything? Well, well, like you, well th thank you for the compliments. I appreciate that. Yeah, I think yeah, I think what's important about this report as well is that you know it's it's who it's what we do with it now, mm -hmm. and um, and and so uh, what this report does it 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 gives us a scientific foundation to do advocacy. So I think you know. This report, I think, could be shared. The entire report could be shared with, say, the Department of Management and Budget within the state. They would want this kind of granularity. But there's other pieces of it that that uh, users can just filter out. So there's a good bit of information about depression, for example, and we know yeah. that behavioral health is a huge gap among older people generally, but certainly among older people who have disabilities. And so just that there's some data elements in there that we can pull, an advocate can pull to make a case for those specific kinds of, of, of concerns. And so I'm really looking forward to wow. see what happens uh, when these reports get into the hands of advocates who can fill in around the, the data that we've created to tell the powerful stories, to talk about what vision rehabilitation does and to show the outcomes and the dramatic effects that vision rehab has on people's lives. And so this is one piece of, mm -hmm. of a very important initiative. And I think frankly, it has the opportunity to be transformational in vision rehabilitation. I think so too, Lauren. So, so all I'm going to say is that I, I just think it's tremendously important for us to get this project across the finish line. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, as Lee mentioned, we participated in, in the first round and were included in the first cohort. For the data that we're getting and the impact that this could make, the, make, the investment is really small per state. And I, I, I think that that's an important message because, um, you know, for aggregated, it looks like a big number, but, but honestly, it, it comes down to about $10,000 a state. And, and that is a, a, a very, very small investment to make to, um, to get the information for us to really be able to move this forward in in a meaningful way so i would encourage you if you have the resources to reach out and and participate in the project because if 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 all of us participate you know our individual investments are going to be really small but have the ability to impact hundreds of thousands of of individuals across the country and more thank you lauren well, um, I, we're going to close out this discussion, um, letting all of our listeners know that there are, will be additional opportunities to, get, to engage in this discussion and, and much more to come in terms of learning about these reports. So first of all, uh, we will be uh, providing a session and, and unveiling these reports at the VisionServe Alliance Executive Leadership Conference on April 4th in Tampa. 
we will be recording that session. So if, if you're not able to join us in person a few weeks after the conference, that will also be available. And the reports will be available for you to view and download through the Vision Serve Alliance website after April 4th. And that website is www.visionservealliance.org. And we'll have it prominently displayed on our, our front page how to access those reports. And you can also get in touch with me, Lee Nasahi at Vision Serve Alliance through my email. My email address is L E E N. So it's my first name, L E E, and my last initial, Lean, at visionservealliance.org. And we'd love to hear from you if you have specific questions of Dean, of John, of Warren, you can let me know that as well and I'll get that to you. They'll all be at the conference as well. So hopefully we'll see some of you there and there will be many other opportunities to follow. Thank you all for joining me today, Lauren, John, Dean. It was, it was awesome and looking forward to finishing out this project together.